Ladies and gentlemen, this is Freddie from the Beautifully Broken Podcast. I hope you know who I am. Today, we are joined by Dr. Frank Ervolino, who is a naturopathic doctor. He walks me through my Biome FX stool diagnostic test. I know. Freddie, do we really want to talk about your poop? Listen, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't think the actionables were so profound. It was the first time I was able to see in front of me where the gaps were in my health, things that I am supplementing and working so hard to fix that it's actually not the human cells that have the problem. It's the missing strains, the keystone strains that are not present in my body. So I'm having to do all this extra work. And I was like, it's one of those times when you just push your hand against your face and you say, Freddie, why don't you slow down and do some of the things you have access to right now? Well, I'm doing that and I'm sharing because I think it's really important. I think it's, I'm stoked as you can tell, but we're going to talk about all the details of my poop. So you can get this kit, this biome FX using code beautifully broken, and you can go to microbiomelabs.com. You can check them out. And I really want you to listen to this. It's short. We're like 58 minutes in and you'll get a lot of good information on man, the magic of the gut. Let's go. Welcome to the Beautifully Broken Podcast. I'm your host, Freddie Kimmel, and on this show, we explore the survivor's journey, practitioners making a difference, and the therapeutic treatments and transformational technology that allow the body to heal itself. Witness the inspiration we gain by navigating the human experience with grace, humility, and a healthy dose of mistakes, because part of being human is being beautifully broken. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Beautifully Broken Podcast. We're here with Dr. Frank Irvolino. Irvolino. Yeah. Did you think I was going to get it wrong? (laughs) You saw me pause. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's share the screen, man. Let's do it. Let's talk about Freddie's poop. Yeah, I was looking at it. It's pretty interesting, actually. Dude, uh, and I have to, I don't know if I gave you I don't know if I gave in the form that I filled out for the biome FX test, but you know, I've had a history of many abdominal surgeries. I've had a resection in the small intestine. I've had extensive amounts of chemotherapy, years of antibiotics from Lyme disease and and then antimicrobials, antifungals from mold. So oh my gosh. it's yeah, it's an incredible history. I was actually quite pleased. And I gotta tell you, like for the first time in my life. Even in the last two months, I'm like pooping twice a day, which just feels amazing. Yeah, you know, it's interesting um, how much abuse the body can take. And if you just clear up a couple of things, the body will take over the rest. I mean, some people are Band-Aid conscious. They want a Band-Aid for everything. Yeah. You know, but I've been practicing for 30 years and I've been in heavy clinical practice in a hospital setting private patient, low-cost clinics. So, you know, you get to see what the body can do and what it can't do. I will tell you that I'm I'm 71 myself. You look amazing. Well, thank you. And at age 29, they told me I was going to get, I, my colon was full of polyps and that they needed to take a part of it out next week. And of course, I put my, I was living in Seattle. I put my jeans back on. I said, heck with you guys. And I walked out. And I remember the last thing the doctor said to me, he said, 
First of all, you died from colon cancer at the age of 54. I don't know why I picked that random number. Second thing he said as I was getting in the elevator was don't drink, don't drink much beer or Coca-Cola. And I remembered those words, you know, and now I'm 71. Nobody's ever played with my colon. You know, the last time I had a colonoscopy was clean, you know, where he said it was full of polyps, you know. So, you know, the body can heal itself. And what we're going to do is we're going to show you a way to, to you know, get a, a game plan for your colonic health. Yeah. Beautiful. And and yeah, there's some things I'll let you go with the report, but there are some things on there that I know have always been, I've always been high in the Klebsiella pneumonia. There's a yeah. couple things that have been very consistent to me. And, and at times I'd had people say, this could be the driver of, you know, a joint pain that I experience once in a while, yada, 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 that these things can migrate outside the gut and cause an immune response. But anyways, I will yeah. let you, I'll let you walk through this. And if you could, Frank, if you could go through and when we we calling things out, you know, we can almost speak like we will make the assumption that people are not watching this on video, that they're actually listening. Sure, I can do that. I, you know, I've done a lot of these myself. So first of all, let me do a shout out to Quran and to Microbiome Labs, because I've been dealing with this stuff for 30 years. And, you know, I've been 25 years as a supplement formulator. I'm a naturopath, I'm an acupuncturist, I had a clinic in a major hospital, I have a low-cost clinic with about 10,000 patients. I mean, I was at a medical conference for cancer, and I ran into Karam when this was all starting, and we didn't have these tools. There are other tests that say they're like this, but they're not. And uh, when Karan came around with the tool set and the spore-based probiotics, I said, finally, I've mm. got some tools that I can use to get people's guts better. And I didn't start working for microbiome labs right away. I started using the products and everything in my low-cost clinic. And then when the offer came, I said, let's go. Yeah. Let's rock. <laughs> so what I'm going to do is, given your history, first of all, I'm going to say a lot of stuff, and I'm going to be very firm in my opinion, but I'm not God. I can be wrong. But this is a, I'm a scientist before I'm a doctor. This is an evolutionary process. We're learning new things every week. So. I'm looking at your report summary page for uh, test 200014. And um, there's this index value that's given that's made up of the four index scores, alpha diversity, beta diversity, resistome occurrence index, and pathogen control index. Your index score, you know, given your history, it could be looked at as pretty good. But in the general scheme of things, 27.66 is about the bottom range of the average American. Mm. And by average American, and I'm talking about the microbiome, the yeah. average American eats three times a day and has a stressful life. And when they eat three times a day, they actually eat to the pancreas six times a day. So they eat a breakfast, they hate their job, and they're falling asleep. So they have a mid-morning coffee with some sort of insulin stimulating, whether it's milk or sugar, and then they go to lunch. And then about three o'clock, they start falling asleep again. So they have a snack or another beverage and gives them time for a break. And then they come home and eat dinner and then they watch streaming TV and they have a late night snack. The pancreas says you ate six times a day, not three. Understood. So that's the average American and they lead a stressful lifestyle Yeah, because the, the demands of a normal lifestyle are different than they were 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. So 
Let's look at the indexes that make up your index score, which is 27.66 out of 40. That's the bottom range, in my experience, of a normal standard American index value. And I know that you're smirking because you say, I've done a lot for my health. Why am I at the bottom range? But let's show you some great reasons. Well, I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to do in my head is to look at this number and not feel like an overwhelming amount of shame. What I'm trying to do is look at this number and say, how exciting that I have so, as good as I feel today, how much more I can get. So I'm excited, Frank. How much more you can do from yes. this point out. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Your first index is called alpha diversity, strictly quantitative. All it does is count numbers. And by counting the numbers, it says, do you have an 8.03 score? That's actually a pretty good score. I'll show you. You know, you have 222 species living in your gut. That's at our upper range of health. Love it. And that's why 8.03. But let's look at another score. Let's look at the beta diversity. That's a qualitative. How good are things? And this takes your gut microbiome and it compares it to our healthiest microbiomes in our large data set. And those healthy microbiomes are not just numbers. They're also paired with incidence of disease, discomfort, quality of life. And we can say that your score is 7.33. I don't consider a person to have a score or to have a microbiome that resembles our healthiest microbiomes until they get to a score of eight. Great. It's, this is not that. So I can say you have a lot of species living in your gut, but the quality needs to be improved. We got to improve quality. Yeah. And how much time do you want this to be? I would love to. 30 minutes is great. 30 minutes is tight. Let's go 60. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> so, like, you know, when you're looking at the mic, when you're looking at that beta diversity, you're looking at things like this. You're looking at what is the balance of the top five phylum, the bacteriorities, the formicutes, the microbia, the actinobacteria, proteobacteria. Those are large bacterial group names that figure prominently in your gut. Mm -hmm. And we're, but we're, you know, and you can say, well, this looks pretty good. I'll explain this page 17 a little later. But you also are looking at, you look, there's four different ways you can get dysbiosis here. And uh, one way is you can get dysbiosis in the large phylum on page 17, those five names I just, another way is you can have dysbiosis. Here's a list of about, I think, eight bacteria phylums that can cause problems in the gut. They're not normal. You can get dysbiosis that way. Mm. Another way is you can get dysbiosis in how the trends of your keystone families on page yeah. 18. And then there's another way you can get dysbiosis up here where you can get dysbiosis from how you handle protein. I got a lot to say about that because, you know, protein, people who can't handle carbohydrates do very well on protein, but there's a price you pay for that mm. where you can actually kill your microbiome and give yourself a fatty liver. So how you handle how much protein you're fermenting is another form of dysbiosis. So you're, you're suggesting possibly not everyone needs a carnivore diet. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you about the carnivore diet, and then we'll, I'm, I'll get back to this other dysbiosis. Yeah. So we are evolutionary beings that descended from our ancestors. Our ancestors had a much tougher life than us. They crossed land bridges. They fought, you know, saber-toothed tigers and woolly mammoths. They fought other people. They climbed mountains. They hunted. 
they dragged the ship back. You know, they had to they burn four thousand calories a day. The only way you do that now is by working on a ranch in Yellowstone. Yeah, you know, that's the only way you burn over four thousand calories. If you know, if you and I went into LA Fitness and rode in spinning classes all day, we might hit thirty two hundred calories. Yeah. So protein really kicks in when you're burning four or five thousand calories a day. So protein has ancestral significance. It's sort of ornamental for us. When we burn less than 4,000 calories a day, our body is designed to run off of carbohydrate fibers. We're designed to, you know, the pancreas is the only thing that digests. The colon ferments. And when you're less than 4,000 calories a day, your body is set up to ferment carbohydrate fibers. But we eat meat. Like it's like drinking beer or scotch. You acquire a taste for it. And we were told generation to generation, meat was good. It kept you strong. Mm -hmm. But as we start to work in offices and burn less than 4,000 calories a day, we don't really need the meat. Yeah. And when you eat a lot of meat, which is what we do in this country, you end up creating a lot of toxic side products. Now, I like to eat meat, but I make sure I eat a ton of grains. I eat a ton of vegetables and a ton of fruit. You need to feed that to your system, especially when you're not gener- using more than 4,000 calories a day. Right. I used to be a mountain climber. You climb a mountain, you're going to burn 5,000 calories a day. You could live off of Jameson's whiskey and M&Ms at that point. <laughs> right. You know? But you can't do it forever. So anyway, that's my thing. Now, here's our Keystone families. I showed you back on page, uh, I think it's 18, this list too. This is one way you can see all the stuff that's not detected. This is another way you can get dysbiosis. And then there's another way, pathogen species found in your colon. Mm -hmm. So there's like four different ways you can have dysbiosis Mm -hmm. in the gut. Yeah. You know, most practitioners think you only have either a good gut or or yeast and candida, and that's wrong. Mm-hmm. There's like four different ways you can get dysbiosis. Now, going back to where we digressed, that was in this fate of diversity. You need to improve the quality of your microbiome to match this great value. So we maybe need to get rid of some bacterial species in your gut and replace them with some higher quality. And we'll go through that. Beautiful. Your resistance occurrence index is pretty perfect to me. Other people might disagree. It means you have some antibiotic resistance in your microbiome when you take antibiotics, but they'll still be effective. Mm. If you were at a value of close to 10, antibiotics would have very little value in your microbiome. And is that just kill- is that is that just something someone develops over time? Is it something that they're genetically born with? No, you pretty much develop it over time. Mm. Now, if you have what you're born with, which is something down around four, you know, when you take antibiotics, they're going to be effective, but you're going to poke a huge hole in your microbiome. And then the pathogen control index comes into play. You have a 5.99, which is pretty low. You've taken antibiotics, given your medical history, years, and it's poked a hole, and this is what moved in. Mm. And you got bacteria, or it is fragilis. I'll go over that. This is a bacterial species that is opportunistic. It shows up in a lot of hospital infections. You know, when people say, oh, my grandfather came back from the dead and he got 
in the hospital, you got an infection. It's this is one of the main culprits. Mm. It's in your body. It waits till you get very weak. Here's Bilophila wadsworthia, not necessarily a pathogen, but a bacteria that just wakes up in your gut every day and says, "How can I damage the gut wall, which is very fragile?" Let's get that out of there. <laughs> yeah, I'll talk about that. Here's E. coli. You get E. coli from what's this? That looks like a cell phone. You get E. coli from your cell phone. What do you do? You're a busy person. All yeah. of us are busy people. We sit on the toilet. We wipe our butt. We're texting. We pick up our phone. We put it in the kitchen counter. We wash our hands. Then we pick up our phone. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I read that in a research article. You got Klebsiella pneumoniae, which can be a problem. It is a high population, but you're a relatively healthy guy. It's not a problem now. It's more of a problem if you get immune compromised. Mm. And then you got Sutterella wadsworthensis, which is similar to Bilophila wadsworthia. It just gets up and says, how can I damage things directly? Mm. Now, how do you get rid of these? You can't kill these because if you give broad spectrum antibiotics, even natural ones, even natural broad spectrum antibiotics like oregano oil, I can't mention some of the products because I don't want to slander them. Sure. But there are, if you use broad spectrum killers, even if they're natural, you're going to poke a hole in the gut and then you're going to, things are going to move in. Got it. Now you could say I'll poke a hole in the gut and then I'll repopulate with like some probiotics, but that's still rolling the dice. Mm. You know, you've got to have a good diet and you've got to have your pancreas working at maximum efficiency to make that pull off. And I'll talk about that. Okay. A little the pancreas and the, the vagus nerve a little bit from now. But the real way you get rid of these is to get good sleep, have your diet adjusted for what you were designed for, and then uh, to get plenty of exercise to be functional. Though after reviewing about a thousand of these tests, that's what I see whittles these down to nothing. Amazing. So we've gone over the indexes. These ratios are really cool, but I like to review them. It's To me, there's more to get from reviewing them by going directly to page 17. I'm going directly to page 17 here. Same bacteria are on here and even more. Here's your, firm, your bacterioidetes to firmicutes ratio that was on that page. Firmicutes needs to cover bacterioidetes, and this is a great coverage. I'm going to tell you, it's Freddie, right? Freddie, yeah. Is that yeah? Yes. Freddie, the gut is the microbiome is a Zen universe. It likes mm. to live in the middle. All right. Yeah. So remember that. The range that I picked, these are percentile values on the bottom here. Yeah. The range that I picked is 36 to 64 percent mm. is the Zen universe of the gut. Well, so th so three out of three out of five, I'm doing decent. Yeah, and there's a really important one in here too that you're doing decent. So going back to the Firmicutes, the Bacteroidetes. Bacteroidetes, when it runs away from the Firmicutes, is implicated in a lot of Crohn's, colitis, those kinds of epithelial damage. Wow. It gets in the epithelium. This is a beautiful coverage right here. Yeah. Okay. When you control it, Bacteroidetes does a great thing. It makes short chain fatty acids, which Short chain fatty acids like butyrate, propionate, acetate, they not only feed your tissues and make them healthy, mm. but they deeply regulate your immune system. Wow. What's that important for? That's important for not getting 
upper <laughs> respiratory diseases from viruses. Yeah. That's important from regulating things like autism. That's important for preventing DNA being expressed that should not be expressed. Like it's called histone deacetylation. Mm-hmm. It's important for you not getting autoimmune diseases. It's important for you to regulate the immune system and the mitochondria so you don't get cancer. And this stuff is really important. Wow, those are great then. Yeah. So bacteriorides and firmicutes are both at 49%. So we're right in the middle. We're right in the green area. That's like perfect. Great. That's perfect coverage. Great. You have good verruchiomicrobia. There's only one major family in verruchiomicrobia phylum in the human gut. The very important acromansia. And what I'm going to do here is show you a graphic that I, I can send you. Mm-hmm. Here's the story in acromansia. Here's a healthy microbiome. Here's a colon wall, colonocytes and goblet cells. That's it's about the thickness of a hot dog skin. Wow. Okay? And these goblet cells secrete mucus that gets very thick on the inside. This is the inside of the colon. Mm-hmm. And Ackermansia's job is to eat that mucus and turn it over and maintain it. Wow. Think of this like the great the colon wall, like the Great Wall of China. Of course. If you don't maintain it, you see those pictures where there are blocks all over the place. Yeah. But if you maintain it, you get this healthy protection, mucus layer protecting the gut wall. Well, you can see here in this graphic, there's a dendritic cell, an immune cell that sticks a little pointer up into the mucus layer that protects the colon. It does that because if the colon wall gets too thin or gets broken. If you have too low an acromansia, you're going to have a broken a mucus wall. And if you get too much acromansia, you're going to have a thin mucus wall. And then the dendritic cell will see that. It'll see what's inside the colon. What's inside the colon is histamines, protein. The immune system reacts very strongly to protein in your body. When I'm in a formulator, we take all the protein out of even a plant. Because if you're going to get hypersensitive immunity, like allergic reactions, things like that, you're going to get it from the protein. And it also see bacterial fragments. And it also, do you know, Freddie, that 65% of the total white blood cells in your body live in your colon? Mm. Did you know that? No. And that's a conservative estimate. I'm not being excessive. No, Some people say 70. Wow. Yeah. And the reason why they're there is they react with all the stuff in your diet to make, not only do you need calories to climb Mount Everest, but you need biochemical cofactors to move those muscles. So they make interleukins, prostaglandins, cytokines. And those things are are used in completing biochemical reactions for muscles, the brain, the nerves, everything. Yeah. So that's their job. But when the acromansia gets too low or too high, then you start to get damage to the gut wall and you get the leakage of all those things. And then you get hypersensitivity of your immune system. Mm. So food panels are going to be high. Mycotoxin tests are going to be high. Uh, Arthritis is going to be high. Joint inflammation, like you said, is going to be high. Mm -hmm. Autoimmunity is a possibility. Enough ROS damage to the mitochondria to allow oncogenes to express is going to be a possibility. Any inflammatory process starts right here at the gut wall. Wow. When they give a mycotoxin test, they're not looking for pieces of mushroom. They're looking for these inflammatory factors. Right. Okay, I'll send you this graphic. You can put it up on your site or something. Yeah, it's really great. 
All right. So you have a great value of it, of Verruchia microbia, aka the family Ackermansia. So you have your gut should be well maintained, and you shouldn't have leaky gut. What you have is dysbiosis. Mm-hmm. You can have one without the other. Mm-hmm. They don't go hand in hand. Yeah. Now going down here, you have very low actinobacteria. Its job is to control proteobacteria. Mm. When you have proteobacteria, you could have a lot of histamine generation. Now, there is a possibility that you could have good Verruchia microbia and still have a leaky gut if there's a lot of activity. We'll take a look at that. Okay? Mm-hmm. Great. So that is what I, instead of that page up here, I think it's page five, mm-hmm. page seven. I go down to page 17 and look. That's what I just explained to you. Yeah. So here's your keystone families on page eight of this test. Now, I just ordered the keystone strains from Microbiome Labs because I I had a hunch at looking at this. It might be one of the products I want to reintroduce. <laughs> Let's talk about it because Microbiome Labs is an outstanding lot, product line, but we haven't developed it fully yet. There's a couple of... There's like maybe one other thing that you might need, you know, in doing this. And plus we, I'll talk to you. You have to put the upper level of, in my, maybe other people say no, but I say you have to get the upper level, the first level of digestion harmonized in order to get the most out of the probiotics. The colon is the second level. Yeah. Up above the colon is the vagus nerve talking to the hypothalamus, Mm -hmm. which regulates Stomach acid, yes. Regulates pyloric valve emptying, regulates precision excretion of bile mm-hmm. and digestive enzymes, and then most importantly, starts peristalsis of the small intestine. If you want to talk about SIBO, you got to get the vagus nerve going, yeah, because that prevents SIBO. As long as you got peristalsis of the small intestine, can't get SIBO. And that's the thing for me. If I eat the wrong type of you know, it's gotten so much better, but if I eat the wrong type of carb or I've had the wrong food, I'll be like trumpeting gas for like, and it's like 45 minutes to like not too long after I've eaten. So I can definitely feel fermentation in a small bowel. And it's just, I've regulated that by not eating the foods that would ignite that excessive gas. Well, there's some, probably there's some good foods in that list and some bad foods. When you restructure the microbiome, you're able to eat the good foods. Yeah. You're able to eat complex carbs. Yep. When people tell me, oh, I eat protein because when I eat carbs, you know, I feel so bad. I go, you're supposed to eat those carbs. Your gut can't handle them. Once we get you to eat, once we get your microbiome straightened out, you can eat those carbs and the protein will catch up with you in about five years. You know, the people that were the test subjects for that were weight, a lot of weightlifters. Weightlifters not only ate mostly protein for muscle mass, mm-hmm. they also took high amounts of taurine. Yeah. And they ended up getting non-alcoholic fatty liver or cirrhosis, non-alcoholic cirrhosis. I've seen that and I've talked to other weightlifters about that, some of the deleterious yeah. facts of the excessive protein, not being able to handle it or process it. Ladies and gentlemen, biologicalmedicine.org. Don't go there yet. I have a question for you. Are you tired of standing around in this deep knowing that our healthcare system is broken, but we never do anything about it? Well, biological medicine for practitioners is the ultimate 
hybrid online and in-person certification course designed to help you integrate biological medicine or biomed into your practice. So unlike traditional medicine that often focuses on treating symptoms, biomed treats the whole body, addressing root cause of illness through three pillars, that is detoxification and drainage, nutrition, and immune building. This approach is truly patient-centered and yields exceptional results. So in this comprehensive course, you will apply foundational knowledge and hands-on experience with the latest diagnostic technologies and therapies, including bioelectrical impedance analysis, heart rate variability testing, pulse electromagnetic field. I know this sounds like it was created just for Freddie, but this is your chance to become a pioneer in the field of biomed. This is for healthcare and wellness professionals, all the way from doctors to personal trainers. I want you to go to biologicalmedicine.org and look for the enroll now button. And if you use code BEAUTIFULLYBROKEN, you'll receive the intro to biological medicine for free. That's a $200 value. Friends, let's go do this. This is our time to seize the day. Join the Biomed and help create a real paradigm shift and the way we deliver results for our patients. Let's do this. So... Let's talk about those keystone families. Mm -hmm. So these are bacteria. I'd say top eight are really keystone. The other bottom five are used for diagnostic purposes. I'll explain it. Bifidobacterium longum is a, a GABA producer, but it's more important than that. It does a lot of things. From a lot of research with people that were sensitive to gluten, it's one of the most stout major repairs of the gut wall. Mm. But when it's teamed up with other bacteria, it can accomplish more as a team than it can individually. It does make its way through stomach acid. A lot of these bacteria cannot make their way through stomach acid. And so you'll always see this word enterically coded. Yes. You know, I'm a formulator. Enterically coated doesn't mean it makes it through the stomach acid. It means they've coated it with wax and they hope it does. But this right. is one of those bacteria that makes it through the gut, the stomach uh, acid bath. They can go down to a pH of two, like battery acid. You wow. Know? And, you know, Quran and microbiome labs have wisely centered on these bacteria. Not only does the bifido do it. And we do have a great bifido in the line, but also all the bacillus that they're known for mm -hmm. in the megasporbiotic, they all, they're spore. So they make it through. Now, mm -hmm. a lot of other companies are trying to come up with like acromanzia supplements or ruminococcaceae supplements, or a lot of the lactobacillus, and they don't make it through the stomach acid. Mm -hmm. They get in your gut if they're hidden in food. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why, you know, you eat a lot of fermented dairy, you're going to get those bugs in your gut, but they're not necessarily good. And let me explain. So bifidolongum is one of the major players to make sure you don't have uh, dysbiosis in your gut. Another two are this lactocasei bacillus rhamnostis and this limosalactobacillus ruteri. Now, up until about a year ago, these were known as lactobacillus rhamnosus and lactobacillus ruteri, but they've taxonomically renamed them, you know. So you need 
if you have a presence of these two, these two bacteria make something called L-lactic acid. And then these bottom five here, acidophilus, delbruchii, ruminus, salvarius, and fermentum, you find these on kefir labels, on yogurt labels. These make D-lactic acid. Now, we were designed for the L-lactic acid. We don't do very well with D-lactic acid. It's hard for the body to get rid of. You can become toxic. We get rid of all the L-lactic acid right away. Now, why do we have these in our gut? Because of food commerce. When they started to bring things from the field to the city, from the farm to the city, they had to preserve it. They didn't have refrigeration. So they fermented a lot of things and they brought them to the city, dairy, vegetables. So we get it in our diet. But we were set up for L-lactic acid in a hunting, foraging type of environment where we didn't have to preserve stuff. Mm -hmm. So if you have the L-lactic rhamnosus and ruteri and the bifidolongum, you pretty much are in control of your microbiome mm -hmm. and you're not going to they're going to prevent dysbiosis. You're not detected on any of those. So that means dysbiosis can occur. You don't have strict control of your colon. Now, let me explain these other ones. Bifidodolacentis is a good thing to have in your gut. It's an acetate producer. It survives stomach acid as well. It's a bifido. Mm -hmm. This Facilobacterium prosnitzii, hard thing to say. You could say Fecalobacterium prosnitzii. You know, choose your pronunciation. You have quite a bit of that. This is a bacteria that produces butyrate, but it does it by consuming another fatty acid, converting another fatty acid acetate. Mm -hmm. It's okay, but it's usually the sign to me of a weak gut. It has gone to plan B to make butyrate, which is the most important fatty acid, churching fatty acid. And then you have ruminococcus bromi, which is a cellulose degrader, which means, you know, you need a little more of this to handle the carbs in your diet. And then you have Rosabiria intestinalis. You have a small population of this, significant. This also makes butyrate out of acetate, but it also generates, along with um, proteobacteria, quite a bit of histamines in your gut. Mm. And then you have Eubacterium rectal, which is a great butyrate producer, and it's got a little side story. It likes coffee. Just a little side story, not significant. <laughs> so I can see that you need to bring up your bifidolongum and your L-lactate-producing lactobacillus. And uh, this is one of the probiotics that we do not have in the microbiome line, but I do supplement it. Like there's rhamnosus, there's ruteri, there's grasseri, plantarii. Those are all lactobacillus to make L-lactic acid. So does bifidolongum, and so does the bacillus in uh, megasporbiotic. They all make L-lactic acid, which is a sign that that's the way your body should run. Mm -hmm. So we've got some restructuring to do. Let's look at your the way you handle carbohydrate fibers called sacrolytic fermentation to make short-chain fatty acids, which I, I'll do a quick rundown again. Short-chain fatty acids feed your tissues. They deeply regulate your immune system. And that's why I think a lot of people get those SARS viruses. They also 
regulate your immune system as far as neurological function. You know, the, the microbiome, 90% of the chatter is up to the brain from the microbiome. Yeah. Only 10% is down to regulate the, the digestive process. Uh, they regulate T-cell metabolism. They regulate quite a bit. You have propionate, you have acetate, and butyrate, the three big short-chain fatty acids. You have great levels of butyrate. How much is being kicked in by those other bacteria that are converting acetate? We don't know, but this is a great level to have. Good for you. Awesome. You have a lot of propionate, a little too much propionate. You're in the 92nd percentile. Now, this doesn't really, I mean, in the knowledge base I know, the frontiers of what I know, this doesn't really figure much to you, but I wouldn't want to be a young woman who was trying to get pregnant and had this propionate level because mm. it does regulate the immune system through T-cell differentiation. There has been some great research presented by Canadian RDs on the fact that women who had high propionate levels were like 60 to 70% more likely to have a child on the autistic spectrum. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. And now your acetate levels are not as high as these other two, but a significant portion of that's being converted to butyrate, but they're still healthy. You're in the 63rd percentile. So you're making a lot of short chain fatty acids. You're handling the sacrolytic great. But that's not the whole story. You've got quite a bit of uh, lactate, you know, that gets converted in a healthy microbiome over to short chain fatty acids. We want to make sure that's happening. We want this a little lower. Okay. By structuring microbiome. Now here's where the story gets a little sticky for you. Okay. <laughs> I love this it. Is pro- this is the secondary, the backup for sacrolytic proteolytic fermentation. This should be lower. You've got 67% polyamine production. That's high. You've got 99% of the population makes less creosol than you do. That's what that means. You've got 71% of the whole population has less ammonia than you do. Mm. And then 72% of the population has less hydrogen sulfide. Hydrogen sulfide is where a person can't lie to me about their diet. You only get sulfur to convert to hydrogen sulfide from your diet or from taurine if you're a weightlifter. And so this could be, is this where you would say this might be indicative of excessive protein? Yes. Let me list for you the top 10 things of sulfur, 10 foods that have sulfur. Seafood has a lot of sulfur. Meat, a lot of sulfur. Eggs, a lot of sulfur. Mm -hmm. Dairy, including cheese. Believe it or not, people don't think cheese is dairy. Nuts. And then it goes, Tea, coffee, onions, avocados, cruciferous vegetables. But concentrate on the first one, two, three, four, five. Give me the first five again, and I'll tell you which ones are in there and which ones aren't. Seafood, meat, eggs, dairy, including cheese and nuts. So no nuts, no dairy, no eggs. It's really like grass-fed red meat and a little bit of seafood. And it's like cod, like once once every two weeks. But just, you know, you just got to think about it, how we eat. We eat the majority of our sulfur-containing foods at dinner. And we eat humongous portions. And then we go into protective immobilization, which is another name for sleep. 
We have no caloric vet demand at that time, yet we're eating foods that we should eat if we were going to climb Mount Everest. Right. Now, I will tell you, I will tell you, Frank, as, as of even since I did this test two months ago, like I've readjusted to wake at dawn, catch every single sunrise. I've been sleeping better. I've been doubling the steps I do every day, and I've been trying to eat two hours before the sun goes down. So more like a 5.30, 6 o'clock. But I will still agree with you. It's still probably my biggest meal is the last meal of the day. When do you eat your first meal? When I wake. I have a protein shake. Well, what time? I mean, time. 7.30, 8 o'clock, kind of when I wake up. I try to wake up and eat. We'll talk about that later. I just needed that data. Mm -hmm. But what I'm saying is you're pumping a lot of sulfur into your diet. Mm-hmm. It could come from a protein shake or something. Mm-hmm. You're pumping a lot of sulfur into your diet. It's resulting in a lot of proteolytic fermentation, which is raising your ammonia levels to a level I wouldn't want to have. Mm-hmm. Your creosol levels are through the roof. This kills your microbiome directly. Mm. And then your polyamine levels, they're not freakishly high, but mm-hmm. they're not where I'd want mine around 20%. Okay. And what the polyamines do is they interfere with triglyceride metabolism in your liver. Mm. So that's where people that are up around 80 or 90% can end up with a fatty liver. Well, I I definitely have high, I trend towards high cholesterol. Yeah, well, this can be a factor too. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is they interfere with choline metabolism in your liver, which blocks methylation. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that they do is they directly kill the microbiome. So you don't want these things. These are what protein eaters low carb, high protein people. This is what does them in after five or six years. Mm. So what we have to do is maintain your sacrolytic, but we have to, you have to feed the furnace less and we have to turn it off with the microbiome adjustment. Great. What's that look like? (laughs) We'll tell you, I got to go through a couple more things. Yeah. I'll, I'll go. Now your GABA, you know, GABA is a supplement, you know? Yeah, I do. Modifies the nerves, but GABA is also made in the gut mm-hmm. to be eaten by the gut. You get what's left over. Yeah. Your GABA is at zero. But look, you got some glutathione production going on there too, mm-hmm. but it's still really low. Where does this come from? This comes from keystone family imbalance. Some of these bacteria make it and some of them eat it. So if you want a situation like your GABA, there's not enough producers and there's too many consumers in your bacterial family. And we'll evaluate by hand your bacterial family populations. We'll do that in about a minute. That makes sense to me. Same with this. this is low because not enough production, too much consumption. I think you're making quite a bit of histamines. This is a new version of the test. We have to calibrate this value up. That's why you need a consultant to sort of look at this and say, until we calibrate this up, mm-hmm. you'll... You know, you'd show a little more histamine. Your indole production is great. I would imagine that you have uh, very good gut motility. It's not a problem in you. If it is a problem, there could be other reasons, such as prior surgeries or something like that. It has but, been, but but this is something that like, you know, all the biohacking and like the PEMF and red light therapy and scar tissue manipulation, lymphatic drainage has really helped. Yeah, Movement, structural integrity. Trauma. Yep. Yeah, you had a lot of tissue trauma, so that could be why. Mm-hmm. Another reason why people can get constipation, even though they have... So indole is a byproduct of tryptophan degradation. Tryptophan either goes to indole 
or it goes to serotonin, or if you have a lot of inflammation in your body, it can go to kynuric acid, which is not good. Mm-hmm. But for normal people will go to indole or serotonin. And then indole goes into the serotonin receptor sites on the gut and governs gut motility. But if you're using a lot of excessive laxatives, if you've got a, a lot of trauma to your tissue, you can get other kinds of loss of gut motility, i.e. constipation. Most soft bowel movements are due to dysbiosis, most. But the constipation is, indole can play a part in it. Another thing is you have a nice high indole level. So you're consuming some tryptophan in your diet somehow, Mm. and it's being converted to indole. It also increases cytochrome P450, which I don't have time to talk about, but this is where all your carcinogenic substances, your hormones go in your liver. Mm -hmm. So when people talk about liver toxicity, they're often talking about having a dirty liver. But Mm. liver toxicity, to me, is impaired triglyceride metabolism with the polyamines, Mm -hmm. you know, impaired choline metabolism. It's also low cytochrome P450. Like women who have menstrual problems usually have a low cytochrome P450. That's where all their hormones are going to get broken down. And if they have to go somewhere else, it's toxic. Mm -hmm. I don't have a lot of time to talk about that. You're recycling, your microbiome is recycling a lot of your estrogens, a lot of your androgens. Great. So we want to to lower that. We don't want them to recycle. Oh, we don't want them recycled. All right. Yeah, we don't want them them (laughs) sent back in. You make enough. Yeah. We'll restructure your microbiome. I looked at your vitamin levels. Your B vitamins are made in your gut to be eaten by your gut. You get what's left over. The most important, because we're moving along for time, are B6 and K2. You got mm-hmm. great levels. You get 80% of your B6 from your gut. All the mm-hmm. others, you get smaller percentages. We talked about the fact that you have some balances here, mm-hmm. but we need to restructure this actinobacteria and proteobacteria values. You have none of these bad people, bad phylum. I can tell you this is not candida. Candida is represented in the ascomycota phylum. Great, no candida. This is where methane gas is, euarchaeota. Mm-hmm. Ascomycota is where candida is represented. Mm-hmm. Synergist studies and candidata saccharobacteria bacteria on this list are oral bacteria that cause a lot of oral problems, but they've when we see them in this test, they've migrated down to the, the gut where they cause damage. Uh, Tenera cutis is mycoplasma in the gut. Spirochetes is lime in the gut. Mm-hmm. Fusobacteria is just a, a badass, causes damage, can give chemotherapy resistance for colon cancer. You don't mm-hmm. have that. Great. None of those. And um, we talked about ascomycota. Here's your family, your keystone family is listed with a percentile value. Remember I told you that for a, in the Zen zone, it was 36 to 64% mm-hmm. percentile value was the Zen zone right here on page 17, this green area. Mm-hmm. You can apply that value to these percentile columns and see where you're trending in bacterial families. So we're going to do it right now. You know, I'm going to count those that are in the zone and then count the ones that are too high. And I'm going to give you a number. I can't do it on the podcast. I'm just going to calculate it. Yeah. You know, so here's one. I'm looking for your normal. They can hear this. Two, three, 
four, five, six, seven. You have seven normal. Good for you. Okay. Amazing. Here's your highs. One, two, <laughs> three, four, four high. There might be more to this story. Here's your lows. One, two, that's below. Three, four, five, six, seven. I don't count the bottom two. They're bad. You don't want them in your gut. Sure. Seven low. And then we got to go down to this page. This page lists stuff that should be non-existent. Very small families in your gut. They should be in the dark corners. Nobody should even see them. And this page 19 of the test, additional observed families in your microbiome shows at least two that are really up high mm -hmm. and should not be around. So I'm going to add two to your high. So you have six bacteria keystone families that should not have a presence or should not be high. You have seven normal and seven low. So about two-thirds of your microbiome is either trending too high or too low. That's not good if you yeah. graft it out. Sure. So what causes that? Now we're going to start on your treatment plan. What causes that? Well, one of the main killers of your microbiome is your stress levels, how many times you eat, when you eat, do you eat too long in the day? Mm -hmm. That's why I asked you. You start at 7, you end at 5.36. That's about 10 to 11 hours of mm -hmm. eating, okay? So the gut is driven by the hypothalamus in the brain that has your biorhythms. From primitive times, your hypothalamus stimulates your vagus nerve, which governs the first level of your digestion on a sun-up, sun-down pattern. Your ancestors got up, walked out of their house, ate what was left for breakfast, and embarked upon either hunting, foraging, or defending themselves. And then they brought everything back, and they butchered it, and they processed it, and they cooked a meal, and they ate a huge dinner, they told stories around the fire, and they went to bed. If you've ever been camping, you go to bed at 8.30, all right? They didn't have time for lunch. You know, yeah. lunch was a commercial addition. Mm. So the hypothalamus goes on a sun-up, sun-down pattern. If you eat too many times, you lose coordination with the hypothalamus, which means the vagus nerve is in ketchup all the time. The vagus nerve drives the pancreas. The pancreas is in ketchup all the time. You're sending an incompletely digested food bolus down to the colon. Colon doesn't like that. If you send an incompletely digested food bolus down to the colon that only ferments, some families are going to retreat, like seven of yours. Some families are going to get high. And some families are going to stay in balance. So the first thing we're going to do for my treatment plan for you is regulate your vagus nerve. So this is like what multitasking looks like. Um, I'm, I have one of my friends in a, in a Flopresso, so it's a full body lymphatic drainage suit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. they're working lymphatics. And we're talking I about poop. It. I do that all the time. <laughs> so we're talking about regulation of the vagus nerve to start yes. the first digestion. Yeah. So I talked about sun up, sun down eating. Not yep. practical for American society. Yes. But research has come through for us. And research has proven that there's a way to fool the hypothalamus into thinking you're doing this. Yes. And the army even funded this original research mm -hmm. and uses it. And it's called, oh, 16-8 intermittent fasting. It fools the hypothalamus into thinking that you're eating sun up, sun down. 
It gets you back in touch with your vagus nerve. So one, you can make stomach acid. Two, you can prepare the pyloric valve to see the acidity level. Three, you'll do excretion, precision excretion of bile and pancreatic enzymes. And four, you start peristalsis of the small, small intestine. There's a lot more that this does, but that's the main points. So 16 8 intermittent fasting would be, you do pretty, you come close, but I would do for you 10 to 6 would be what intermittent or nine to five would work for you. Do you think there's value, Frank, in, as, as you said, lunch is a commercial addition, which I've always thought there's always a meal, which I feel like I'm not sure I need, but I'm like, I should get my, I should eat, I should feed my cells. So there's always a meal where I'm like, ah, oh, this one feels a little bit forced. Is it okay to skip the lunch or would you rather say tighten the windows around the end and you'd have a longer gap without food? I don't care, to be honest, to get the result, to get the first level of digestion efficient, Yep. doesn't really matter what you do as long as you stay within that eight-hour period. Mm-hmm. Okay. That gets the body going. This guy is into my biorhythm. The yeah. hypothalamus is going. I, I sync with this guy. You can eat three times in that eight-hour period. Yeah. You can eat. In fact, most people will binge on their first meal. But what happens is eventually when you stay on this for a year, and this is for people that want to lose weight, you can rearrange your entire relationship with food. You are no longer eating for entertainment value. You're no longer eating according to rising and falling glucose levels. That's what drives the average American. Mm -hmm. Falling glucose, because when, when insulin comes out, sees the glucose in your meal Mm -hmm. and starts pushing into cells, then it glucagon comes off and turns off the insulin. The mm-hmm. insulin doesn't go away. It's just turned off. Yeah. And then, you know, you, you get this 25-minute window before you're starting to use fat and protein for energy. Mm-hmm. And so you start to fall asleep. So people react and re-pump up. Wow. And then you get, one, what the Army research found out was you get elevated insulin levels 24-7, 365 days a year, that causes a variety of additional diseases in humans. Of course, yeah. So staying within an eight-hour period is the most important thing. And eventually, you'll eat less because you'll get a new relationship with food. Like I used to eat a half a bag of corn chips and salsa. Now I'll eat like 10. And I'm like, okay, that's enough. Yeah. And I didn't set out to do that. Let me ask you about another version of that. You know, I have another people who would do like the OMAD. They'll do the one meal a day, but they'll have their meal. It's spanned out over, you know, two and a half, three hours in which there's some appetizers, some snacks, a main meal, some grazing, and it's, but they get their same caloric load in a much shorter window. Wouldn't it stand? That's the the, ideally, you know, I I don't know. There's lots of, there's chatter. Again, it's, people have working theories that they say they, well, you can't let your, you know, it's too much stress on your adrenal glands to go without food for that long and have this. No, that's wrong. That's wrong. I don't agree with it, but I've heard that chatter. Yeah. You know, the thing is, is that like people who do the one meal, Mm -hmm. I mean, you got to look at their lifestyle. You got to look at, you know, how they make a living, what kind of exercise they get, how they're living, you know, all that comes into play. A lot of what I'm talking about is for the standard North American, you know, they got, they got to get in a job. They got to get in a car. They got to go on a highway, you know, not stuff I like to do. You know, they got to commute. They got to go to work. They got to sit in an office. It's, 
you know, it looks like that program, the office, you know, there's a little bit of, there's all sorts of stressors built in. So what will work for the, the majority of people, you know, is what I look for, yeah. you know, the bell curve, not the extremities outside the bell curve, you right. know? So 16-8 intermittent fasting is the best, cheapest, non-supplemental way <laughs> great. to start your digestion off great. I got my notepad going here. The next way you can hack the vagus nerve is directly through the bitter receptors on the tongue. You can use digestive bitters mm -hmm. on the tongue, like an alcohol extract. And the plant that I like in my bitters, the bitterest, most bitter plant in the plant world is gentian, G-E-N-T-I-A-N. And it's the basis of most digestive bitters. These came from Europe, the European herbal tradition. And then another way to get into the vagus nerve is to use Chinese herb formulas. The Chinese have been working on this for 2000 years. There's like 60 formulas for the digestion. There's digestive weakness with anxiety. There's digestive weakness with inflammation. They use the tongue and the pulse to diagnose and they use the patient history. The basic formula that you would use for digestive improvement, Chinese herb formula, you can buy these on the Amazon and everything. I mean, I know I'm talking on a podcast, is four gentlemen, the word four mm -hmm. with the word gentleman, like gentle lady, gentleman, mm -hmm. four gentlemen. It's also called sejintatan, but forget that. So four gentlemen, you take it with every meal. Uh, there's other ways that you can regulate the vagus nerve. You can do acupuncture, you can do chanting, you can do yoga. Yeah. You know, there's other ways. You can use devices as a thing that goes on the neck. Oh, I use, I literally have it over there. I have Flow Vibrate. It's a biosonic oscillation device to to help move limp in the face and neck. And you can just put the vibrator right on your neck. And it's it's beautiful. Yeah, I don't like that because it, it goes near the carotid. Uh, <laughs> I don't like that. Well, you know, it's soft. Also, you don't push into the neck. You meet the skin. No, but I mean, there's all sorts of sensors for the carotid. I use... If you want to know what I use, I use Sensate 2, S-E-N-S-A-T. -E oh, I know Sensate. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Sensate 2 works, I'll tell you. I mean, if I got to take a 30-minute nap before I go to my clinic, I yeah. wake up and don't even know where I am. So anyway, <laughs> those are the ways to... That's my stage one. I'll send you yep. my three-stage plan. First, before you give probiotics, you have to get the vagus nerve straightened out. You have to get it to be a player. You can't have stress. You can't be in sympathetic dominance on your vagus nerve. You can't be eaten too many times a day over too many hours. The gut is not set up for that. You're going to kill your microbiome just like that, mm -hmm. just from that. Yeah. Forget antibiotics. Forget even protein metabolism killing it. So you got to get the vagus nerve straightened out. If you're going to give probiotics without doing that, you're going to kill them too. So to get the most out of your, your megasport and everything, you got to straighten out the vagus nerve. And it really pays off. In PubMed, this regulates your hormones, improves your blood glucose tolerance, uh, gives you more cognitive, remodels your microbiome, gives you better cognitive skills. Mm. They say cognitive tools, more energy. Mm -hmm. All right, stage two. Stage two is remodeling the gut microbiome. You do stage one for about a week. To get things straightened out. Mm -hmm. And now you take the probiotics. In your case, we're going to go up to, I think it's page eight, or it's page blah, 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 eight. 
And remember, you don't have this bifidal longum. We need to give you bifidal longum. Now, what Microbiome Labs and Quran did that was brilliant is find a very special microbiome or a very special bifidal bacterium, 1714. It's all bifidal have a number, 566, 561. They found bifidal 1714. It has an unusual, unique characteristic. Not only does it improve the microbiome, but it puts your vagus nerve in parasympathetic. Mm-hmm. It's right there. And all the study on bifidal 1714 is in PubMed for you to access. The National Library of Congress Medical Database. Mm-hmm. And it puts the vagus nerve in parasympathetic. That means less anxiety. I've used it as an anoxiolytic. Mm-hmm. But you want to put this in, this needs to be present in your gut, bifidolongum. So we're going to use Zen Biome. And there's Zen Biome Cope, Zen Biome Sleep. I think it's called Zen Biome Digestion or something. Any version will work for you. Choose okay. the appropriate version. Now, we need to give you some L-lactate-producing lactobacillus. There's an incredible formula. Uh, there's a couple of them. One is Metagenics Ultraflora Women's. It was originally designed for vaginal health. Mm-hmm. Turns out to improve vaginal health, to grow D-lactate bacteria that producing lactobacillus that belong in the vagina, you have to give L-lactate-producing bacteria to improve the gut to get the D-lactate in the vagina. You know, we thought because acidophilus, lactobacillus acidophilus is in the vagina and the baby's coated with it when they come out that that was good for the gut. Mm-hmm. It means D-lactic acid. It's not good for the gut. It belongs in the gynecological area. L-lactate-producing lactobacillus belong in the gut. And Metagenics Ultrafluoro Women's is just, and I use it with men, is just, L-lactate-producing lactobacillus. There's an orthomolecular woman's that's good as well. Yeah, I like metagenics. That's great. Yeah. And then we need to make a team. These two bacteria need to be, you need to take those as supplements, but we need to team them with megaspore biotic because the three together work synergistically. They kill bacteria directly. They cause competitive inhibition. They actually crowd out bad bacteria. They lower the pH of the intestine, which will get rid of bacteria and utilize lactate and ammonia. If the the ammonia will get utilized, if you have enough prebiotic fibers, carbohydrates in your diet, they will repair the gut wall. They will generate creatinoids and flavonoids, grow other things that aren't detected in your gut that you need to have. They will decrease histamine production in your gut. Synergistically, it's a very tight team. Mm. So I'll have you take Zenbiome, Metagenics, Ultraflora Women's, and Megaspore. Now, I know that for my patients, I want this to be easy compliance-wise. Mm-hmm. You can do whatever you want, Freddie. Yeah. But what I do is I dose these one each per day with food. Okay. I know that Megaspore has a really cool dosing schedule. But I don't want to lose my patients by giving them a lot of instructions. Mm-hmm. And this seems to work over hundreds of people. <laughs> yeah. So that's your stage three. Repopulate your gut microbiome to change a lot of things. The estrobolome value to change um, maybe the way that you do the proteolytic fermentation versus sacrolytic. We're going to try and nudge things. You're mm-hmm. not going to feed that proteolytic furnace as much as you're doing. 
But down here, we don't need to do anything with your acromansia. Now, if we wanted to make sure that you didn't have a leaky gut, we wouldn't grow more acromansia, but we might use a supplement that was produced by microbiome labs to make sure you have a great thick mucosal barrier. Mm -hmm. And that is mega mucosa. Great. And you do that for about a month. Okay. You can add that to stage two, which is the probiotic remodeling, or you can do it separate, but do that for about a month. I do stage two, the three probiotics for about two months before I'd start asking myself if I'm doing better. Now, you have a bunch of these bacteria here. If you wanted to do on page six, pathogen species, if you wanted to do a little more banging on that drum, mm -hmm. you might use one of the, there's some really cool products in the Megaspore Microbiome Labs line. I get confused with those two. That you can add for a little more killing power. You could add at least a bottle of HU58. Mm -hmm. That would add more of the killing um, bacillus. Mm -hmm. Or if you want to get really unique, you could add the new megagenesis, which is a strain that used to exist in all of our microbiomes, but has disappeared except for this group of people living in relative isolation in New Guinea. And they cultured it out. It's called Limosolactis ruteri. And you, it was tested on the test and you had none, but it's a very ancient form of Limosolactis ruteri that generates a lot of ruterin, which goes after some of these bad bacteria on page six. Perfect. So that's, I would, you know, stage one, stage two, little modification of adding the mega mucosa to make sure you have a, a really good thick mucosal barrier. So mm -hmm. you're not sharing with your immune system, all the stuff that goes on in your intestines. Mm -hmm. I would definitely do the dietary modification where I would read, especially at dinner, reduce these sulfur containing foods. Okay. And start looking at them more as ancestral ornaments that we don't really need unless you're going to get into some sort of bear grill stuff. And then, you know, keep them within a 16 8 intermittent fast. Get on the, the emerging trend of research because you're in the biz. I'm in the biz. It's super exciting. It's exciting to have an actionable plan. It's nice to look at the numbers. Frank, how long before I should retest and when we should look at this again? I would retest, if you're doing the dietary modifications, I would retest it five to six months. Oh, I'm hyper compliant. So I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah. And and look more for the, re, you know, the retest is going to be validation of numbers and you have to be hyper compliant to get the real results. Like mm -hmm. people modify these plans and then they go, well, how come, how come I don't have the numbers? I go, you modified it, mm -hmm. you know, and it's the, I'm not asking you to do a lot. I do it. I'm 72. I'm Italian. I love to cook. I, I can do it. Yeah. You know, I just came to my family. I'm up in Canada, the family beach house, and they eat gluten like crazy. And I eat gluten for two nights and I started feeling like I had asthma or something, you know? Yeah. You know, we get used to this stuff. We get used to eating stuff that's not good for us. We get used to eating a lot of protein at night. And like, you know, we accommodate it. And then we wonder why down the line we got a butcher's bill to pay. Mm -hmm. Like I got to get my knees replaced. Right. Well, that's all from leaky gut. Yeah. You know, people make excuses. I had an accident 40 years ago. That's why my hips are bad. No, they're not. Exactly. You know, the hips are bad because one, you lost functionality. 
in your shoulder girdle and your hip girdle. So, you know, your body's twisted. And second, you got leaky gut contributing a ton of inflammation. Yeah. Frank, I'm super excited. And I appreciate you going this deeply with me on this report. And again, you know, it's like, it's just little adjustments for me. So I'm going to pull the trigger and we'll get going on this. All right. I'm going to send you a separate email with a contact number for text messaging and about five documents, five to six documents that support what I talked about. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Frank, thank you for the conversation. I'll talk to you about functional posture alignment therapy that we use with, uh, I work for this other company that works with the NFL athletes and why people have bad hips, bad neck, you know, with NFL guy. We don't, we don't see the Cairo. We give them exercises to pull their body back into alignment. Oh yeah. I'm very, I'm very familiar. My friend is a Alina is a postural restoration institute. Well, my best friend is Peter Agoscu. So. Oh yeah, I know the Agoscu technique as well. Doctor Frank, thank you so much. I'm gonna scoot, but we will talk soon. Yeah, call me again. I love to do this stuff. Awesome, I appreciate it. All right, take care, bud. Big love. Bye. I've become increasingly aware of the way environmental toxicity affects my body. Now, in the past, I've tested high for mercury, lead cadmium, glyphosate, and mycotoxins from mold. Now I know what you're thinking, that is a full bucket. And even worse than the list of toxins was the fatigue, the neuralgia, and the brain fog due to the burden on the system. So luckily I was introduced to the Ion Cleanse Foot Bath by AMD at a wellness conference. The system uses both positive and negatively charged ions to help eliminate these harmful toxins from the body. So my N equals one experiment, After four months, I've watched most environmental toxicity fall by more than 30% through diagnostic testing. So for me, this is a win-win. The Ion Cleanse by AMD is a fan favorite of the podcast because it's safe, it's effective, and it's a non-invasive way to cleanse and purify the body. So as a special promotion, Ion Cleanse by AMD is offering a free 15-minute consult where you can explore your personal needs to see if this technology may be the right solution for you and your family. So schedule your free 15-minute phone consult by selecting the link in the show notes, my Instagram at freddysetgo or freddysetgo.com. Friends, this is a heart-centered company. The support team is amazing and they offer a 60-day, 100% money-back guarantee. That is zero risk for the customer. So if you're ready to purchase, visit www.amajordifference.com and mention the Beautifully Broken Podcast is your referral source. Namaste. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I are moving on a four-year relationship. That's got to be some kind of a record. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, head over to Apple or Spotify and please give us a review. I know how busy you are. I know you got a list of things to do that's a mile long, but it makes more people across the world hear this mission. And one more ask before you go, there's a way that you and I can continue learning. There's a way that you and I can continue to deepen the relationship that started in this episode. You could visit beautifullybroken.world and you can check out our brand new website and store. Listed are all the wellness tools, the supplements, the articles backed by scientific protocols to move forward in a wellness, the products that I am using and I personally love. 
Most of them offer a significant discount by clicking the link or using the code. And the beautiful part, they don't cost you anything extra. And at the same time, they do support the show. Now, we have another new feature alert. I don't want to overwhelm you, but if you want to see the beautiful faces of our guests, if you want to watch me unbox and review products, head over to our brand new YouTube channel, Beautifully Broken World. This last message is from my vast team of internet lawyers. The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only. By listening, you agree not to use the information found here as medical advice to treat any medical condition in yourself or others. Always consult your own physician for any medical issues that you might be having. Our closing, the world is shifting. We need you at your very best. So take the steps today to always be upgrading. Remember, while life is pain, putting the fractured pieces back together is a beautiful process. I love you. I'm your host, Freddie Kimmel.